Everybody, welcome to the UK Packers podcast. As usual, I'm your host, that's the DDNFL on the Twitter box, and of course, follow the group at UK Packers. And it's the off season, and it's time for quick snaps. Oh, no, it's not. I miss quick snaps. Do you miss quick snaps? Do you miss doing it in your car? Tell me where you like to be doing it, and and uh, we'll share in the experience. This is the off season, and do you know what? I'm kind of excited about the off season because this is where most sort of content creators when it comes to the NFL, going to hibernation. And this is where I feel like we ramp it up. Uh, so there's going to be a new off-season format. I'm going to bring back jingles. I'm going to add in some little sound bites ads. Um, going to be bringing back Fan of the Week. Some weeks, I'm going to be bringing back Clown of the Week. If there's a honourable clown out there, there's going to be special guests on. The Packers Limerick might be coming back. And it's just all of just a bit of a mishmash of all the news that's going on. And I'm actually excited about it. And the history segments are coming back. So here's my master plan for ukpackers.co.uk is I want to build a history hub on there. And I have the architecture uh, set up in the background and have for a while now. And I've been, you know, trying to add to it and stuff. I would like to be ukpackers.co.uk. Be a place that you go to when you think about Packers history or fun, in, fun tidbits. And I think I'm going to blend in, you know, podcast segments and video segments and sort of, you know, segments about learning the game and stuff like that. And it's all going to be up there. We've been doing UK Packers now, what, 11 years, 10, 11 years, 10 years, 11 years this year. Um, I think it's 11 years in April, actually. So um, this is what it's all going to be about. So this is a primer. Primer for the off-season. It's going to sound a little bit different. And if you like the uh, segment and how it's set up, well, then I might carry on to the regular season. I've got big plans. I never leave. It's not the off-season here in UK Packers. Never is. But um, come here to me. What? The drama. The first part of the pod is typically a bit of a preamble, right? So this is a post-amble preamble. Such a harrowing week here at uh, UK Packers HQ. I have... In the HQ, along with an insane amount of merch, by the way. So get on to Patreon. Oh, it's so seamy. Patreon.com forward slash UK Packers if you want to win signed merch and an all-expenses-paid holiday. But I, I digress. But um, part of what I have here in UK Packers HQ is a really, really old cat. I mean, really old. You know those cartoonishly old animals and people in cartoons where like they're basically barely alive. I mean, that's what we're dealing with here. So I have this... I suppose semi-sprightly black and white cat. If you want the Packers content, just forward two minutes, four minutes, maybe five minutes. Um, And he's a bag of bones because he's like, he's 16 years of age, right? He's basically dead. And he's got, as far isn't great because he's old. Like he's really, really old, okay? He's basically just living out his retirement here. We've owned him for that entire time. And in fact, we've lived, we bought this house eight years ago where we live. So it's not as if we're brand new here, right? And we've had this decrepit old animal for all that time. And he got kidnapped this week. Kidnapped. And I only found him because, look, he, he barely rarely goes out. Barely rarely uh, goes out. He stays in, he meows for food, and then he sleeps the rest of the time because he's a dirty old man. Um, But he went out at lunchtime. Went out for a run and he didn't come back. 
Dun, dun, dun. And we were thinking, what the hell is like? He, what's this old man? Because you know, he never le- ever. We've been to seven different houses in our times, and he's never strayed for more than ten minutes, and he was gone. And lo and behold, my sister sends me a post from Facebook showing Eric Cat and someone saying, "Oh, look at this decrepit, neglected animal." <laughs> Jesus Christ! Does anybody know him? And it featured our place that we live. Not our exact address, because that would be absolutely taking the piss. But um, the photos, if you look in the background, is my driveway. <laughs> they, they took a picture of my cat on my driveway. And we don't have a collar on him. Uh, because he, one of his favourite pastimes, apart from getting early stage renal failure, which he actually has, by the way, because he's very old. Uh, the other thing that he likes to do is hang himself from trees and things. Uh, so he gets his collar. Inserts twig here and decides to, um, you know, do a jobby on himself. And so that's why we can't put a collar on him because he's a dirty old man who likes to hang himself. All right. So that's why we don't have a collar on him. So they took photos of him on our driveway. Uh, I was working from home this day and they stuck him in their car and brought him off. Brought him to the vet because they thought this guy is astray, obviously. Now, they did note how friendly he was. Right, that's because he's been alive and in my house for 16 years. And they also noted how great he was with kids. That's because I have many kids. <laughs> so, lo and behold, this Facebook post goes up about, oh, this decrepit cat and he's in bad shape. And all of these rancid comments underneath it say, oh, that guy's on death's door. It's kind of true. And he needs to be brought to a vet. Not true, because he's in the vet every bloody three months because of his stuff that he has going on. Old age. And he's he has early stage renal failure. So his, his kidneys aren't great, right? So he's on this senior food and all this type of jazz. And the last thing a cat needs when it's just about to kick the bucket and has early stage renal failure would be to be scooped up in a car by a stranger and put in a vet's overnight <laughs> with distress. Oh, so I had to contact this lady and lo and behold, there was some mad cat woman in Wicklow Town which is many, many kilometers away from where I live. And she was convinced that my cat was her cat. The shock. She lost her cat last May. It was 17 years of age. And she was convinced that our cat was her boots. And I don't know how to break it to this lady, right? First off, her cat was female and likely dead. And our cat is air cat and male. He's at least half of his genitalia. So the, the shock, we had to calm the kids down and promise them that we'd get them back. And we had to sort of read all these rancid Facebook comments about <laughs> in bad shape he was. And in fact, he's actually in great shape. And I went down and rescued him. And I was like, here, listen, I'll, you know, go in and speak to the vet. And I walked into the vet and she looked at me and goes, oh, Steve, Stevie, what's Gizzy doing in? We only saw him recently. And I said, I'm down here rescuing him. Oh, what a week. So if anyone else has experiences of their own animals being kidnapped on their driveway, let me know. I wouldn't mind. I've got a ring doorbell, but it didn't capture the event, the, the traumatic cat napping. But that was an eventful time. How's your day? Anyway, let me hit you with this. Man, that's easy. So I'm just lining up. I seen number 10 motion over. Hey, Jones. I seen number 10 coming across the field. I said, oh, snap, he fast. So I bagged off. When I bagged off, I seen him coming. He ran right in front of me. I was like, wow, is he really overthrowing it? Huh? Took it down the sideline, turned up with my guys, gave the football to a little kid wearing 23. Amazing. 
So let's stick on the defensive side of the ball, shall we? Um, and let's talk about Joe Barry. The news obviously broke about Jeff Hafley coming in, uh, you know, head coach, ex-head coach now of Boston College. And I do want to talk about Jeff and their stuff out there. Although I do want to cut through some of the nonsense with that. But before we get to the new, let's deal with the old Joe Barry. And uh, I know you're thinking, Steve, that's really old news. Uh, but I just decided to do a bit of a deep dive into draft narrative and... It's not boring. I promise you it's not boring. Um, and also to look at, you know, because this, this is the overlasting thing that sort of sticks with me with Joe Barry. It appears like he always gave players, or a lot of players anyway, career games. And that was just the, something that was in my head. And I wanted to say it out loud, but then I was thinking, I have a responsibility, right? Because I don't I didn't dislike Joe Barry as a man, and I always found it squeamish to call for his head and all this type of stuff. But the overarching narrative in my brain when I think about Joe Barry's defense is, is that to cover one thing, we neglected another thing. And then that person had their career day. But look, he was with the Packers three years since 2021 uh, up to 23. And in that time, the Packers defense averaged 17th in total defense. Uh, well, 17th this year and then an average rank of 14th and then scoring defense was 14th as well. Um. But this was the first thing that struck me was as I was reading all these articles about him trying to sum up all the stats. And it said that the last four first round picks were on defense and 12 of the last 13 were on defense. And not only that, but there was eight first round defensive players on the Packers roster in the defense. I will say not all of them played. And I wanted to dig deeper into that because the narrative out there is, is that we invested so much into the defense that we should be amazing. And that... We've neglected the offense and, you know, this is a new thing kind of thing. Um, but look, the thinking was is that with the Washingtons and the Lions that they were both poor under Joe Barry and the argument was that he never had a good squad. Um, which we look at it now and you go, well, eight first round picks. Jesus, we must be able to get something done. Um, but the characteristic of Joe Barry, I found, was is that he'd get a rookie quarterback and we'd make a stud out of him and then we'd give other lads uh, career numbers. Now, I'm going to delve into that a little bit, right? And there was a, I think there was a quote underneath an article that said Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus uh, went on another podcast and said that the Packers defense allowed five quarterbacks to have their highest graded games of the year against them and that he couldn't remember the last time that that happened. But aside from that, and do you know what? I'll address the draft thing after all of this. But the other thing that was really alarming this year was just the defensive players who were playing well weren't playing well. And that always doesn't come down to Joe Barry. But outside of playing unwell, if you will, is just them acting weird. You know, like Jair Alexander is always entertaining. He was always a bit of a rah-rah guy. Always jarring, you know, saying he's the best. That's the Jair Alexander we know and love. But it was just weird. You know, he got suspended for going out trying to be the captain. There seemed to be no real discipline there. As my old art teacher used to say, discipline. Because he's... Irish and then we had Devondre Campbell coming out and posting oh I'm not playing hurt anymore screw you guys and then he had to declare in the locker room after I'm not talking about anything I post on the internet which is a really nice way to get out of anything that you say online you know I don't know has anyone ever tried that before apart from Donald Trump has anyone ever tried to say all that stuff I was saying I'm not talking about it it's actually genius Um, but then LaFleur comes out and you know, with the players seeming disgruntled and he seems to not throw them under the bus, but he seems to lay blame on the players and say, oh, it was a communication thing. It's not his, it's not Barry's fault. 
is what everyone read from it anyway. Uh, Mike Petten, as an example, ninth and 13th uh, in total D and scoring D. Um, and we were told at the time that the Joe Barry system was kind of a hangover from Petten. But what's really telling is, is Mike Daniels sent a tweet out a couple of weeks or months ago. And it stood out because he was saying that the defense hasn't been nasty enough for a while. And he even alludes to the fact of when he was there, that it wasn't nasty. And, you know, that's bad because this is coming from a guy with a large motor. And I, w- I do want to look at the draft stuff because I think we've time. What else are we doing? That's coming. I mean, come on, it's the offseason. Uh, but what I do want to do is, is I want to address the whole elephant in the room, which was, you know, Joe Barry defenses used to give career numbers to people. Because sometimes that becomes a narrative that has a mind of its own. But there was a great article. I don't know where it was from. Uh, by And I, I recognize the girl. She's on Twitter as Sandwich, I believe. And she writes under the name of Sandwich. So this is her fantastic research. Uh, but she had this great article. And, if, and she went back as far as the Lions and the Bears. But all I'm going to key on is the Packers from 2021 and above. And see, is the narrative true? And I tried to boil it down. Week 5. Jamar Chase, career high, 159 yards in 2021. And so it starts. And um, But I look at that and I go, Jamar Chase. And then the next one is Justin Jefferson. I'm like, yeah, well, like, where's the shame in that as such, right? Because these players are starting off in their career. Um, they're highly touted. They became fantastic players. So is it such a bad mark? Oh, but it gets worse. Week 11, Justin Jefferson, the second best game of his career, 169 yards. Week 14, three weeks later, Rookie quarterback, Justin Fields, his second best game of his career, 224 yards passing, 74 yards rushing. And then we come up against the Ravens. Uh, Tyler Huntley is in there um, and he has a career high with 73 yards rushing. Right. Um, Again, she talks about a trick play that happened in week 18, but we'll forget about it. So 2022 rolls around and it just gets absolutely vomitous, right? Disgusting. And it rolls into 2023. And I think this is the angst that everybody had. Week one, Justin Jefferson, career high, best of his career, 184 receiving yards with two touchdowns. Week six, Brees Hall running back, career high, 116 yards rushing. Week seven, the next week, running back Brian Robinson Jr. 73 yards, career high in a game. Doesn't sound like much. But it was two months after he was shot in the knee and the glute. <laughs> right. Places, things that you need to run. Week 10, three weeks later, career high. Wide receiver, CeeDee Lamb, 150 yards receiving. Next week, career high, 111 yards receiving. Wide receiver, Traylon Burks uh, with the Titans. Next week, week 12, uh, we were really doling it out. We're feeling very generous at this stage. Two career highs. Uh, quarterback Jalen Hurts, career high with 157 yards rushing. And the best of his career in rushing 143 yards for running back Miles Sanders. Saunders. Week 17, career high again, would you believe? 89 yards receiving for wide receiver Jalen Naylor. Doesn't sound large, but again, that's because he was a player that didn't really threaten people and he's after doing it. So when you look at that, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight career highs in 2022 to wide receivers, quarterbacks, and running backs. So can you pick on running backs and we just can't defend the run? No. Can you pick on wide receivers? No. Can you pick on quarterbacks? No. Anyway, 2023 rolls around. 2023. Um, week two, quarterback Desmond Ritter. Career high, 237 yards passing. Again, like a guy, here's a guy that we looked at and said, oh, well, great. Brilliant. He's in. He, he, can't, uh, he can't throw anything, you know, and all of a sudden he gets a career high against us. 
to note that the season high for Bijan Robinson as well, 124 yards in the same game. Week 10, running back Jalen Warren, uh, 101 yards in a game, which was a career high in rushing for him when we lost to the Steelers. Week 14, our loss to the Giants, and we'll have to couple this with week 15. Back-to-back quarterback Danny DeVito. Uh, he became Offensive Player of the Week. Uh, now, his numbers weren't crazy. I mean, 158, rushing for, 100, for 71 yards. Bless me. Um, but again, he came out with NFC Offensive Player of the Week. We should have definitely won that game. They were atrocious, sort of up to that. And yes, they had a resurgence, but against bad teams. And he's not a great quarterback, and he was found out shortly after. Uh, quarterback Baker Mayfield in Week 15. The next week, we lose 34-20 to the Bucks. Um Baker Mayfield has his resurgence game, best game he's had in five years, 381 passing yards, a perfect passer rating, and he becomes, again, NFC Offensive Player of the Week. So we're kind of taking the PP a little bit. There's two quarterbacks, both of them not seen to really get up to much. Both of them became NFC Offensive Players of the Week, and Baker Mayfield posted a perfect quarterback rating. Vomitus. Uh, then we win against the Panthers, squeeze by week 13, the week after that, 33-30. Very hard for an Irishman to say. And it was a career-high uh, yardage game for quarterback Bryce Young with 312 yards. So that's the thing, is that, you know, Joe Barry, when you look back at it, I didn't blame him all the time. And if you look at the money uh, games, and Aaron Rodgers banging on about the fact that we have a great defense now, um, and in fact, that year, 2021, we had the ninth ranked defense in yards allowed per game. So top 10 defense, but still you can see we could easily get gouged. We got gouged four times for two second best games, two career highs in that season. And it just got worse as we went on. And a, a nice thing to note is, is that we seem to not be able to um, adjust during the games. Let's have a look at the narrative then, the draft class narrative. Because we're told that there was eight first rounders. Uh, we're told that we were draft heavy. Um, and if you look back at the last couple of drafts, 2023, Lucas Van Ness. These are first rounders. 2022, Devontae Wyatt, Quay Walker. 2021, Eric Stokes. 2020 is the anomaly, Jordan Love. How could you? Um, 2019, Darnell Sauvage and Rashan Gary. 2018, Alexander. 2017, we didn't have a pick. 2016, Kenny Clark. So adding all of those guys up, it comes to eight. So we've eight first round draft picks. So look, the narrative was, is that, oh, we keep investing in defense. Uh, how the hell can he not get stuff done? Because we keep throwing defensive picks at it. And Joe Barry has an embarrassment of riches and Mike Petton did before him and all that type of chance. So I went back and looked at it, right? Unfortunately for the, um, the narrative givers out there, we've always been defense heavy. So when you go back to Brett Favre, when he came to town, uh, 91, 92, and look at it from there. Since then, we've only drafted about 26%, 26.5% offensive players. Every other player has been defensive. Now, that's there's a there's a reason there, right? Is that one, you could say we've great quarterback play in Brett Favre. Well, we kind of, we were drafting um, defensive players when he was there. Um, but when you look at offense, do you get good value from your offensive players? Um Yes, uh, on occasion when we look back and some of the offensive players that we've taken, obviously Jordan Love uh, standing out, Brian Balaga, amazing, Aaron Rodgers, amazing. Uh, do we throw Bubba Franks in there? Sure. Um, so let's go back and look at it then. So out of all of the draft players going all the way back uh, for 34 years, well, 34 players, we had two picks in some of these. We would no picks in others like 2017. When you look at that, 34 picks, nine of them were offensive players. So... 
I've went back from 2023 all the way back to Kenny Clark. The year before that, Demarius Randall safety. The year before that, Clinton Dix safety. Then it was Dayton Jones, defensive end. Nick Perry, defensive end. We went back-to-back offensive before that. Derek Sherrod, tackle. Brian Balaga, tackle. Back to defense again. Clay Matthews, the third. Linebacker, BJ Raji, uh, defensive tackle. Justin Harrell, defensive tackle. AJ Hawk, linebacker. Twenty. We're back to 2005 now. Aaron Rodgers, quarterback, if you didn't know. Uh, Ahmad Carroll, cornerback. Nick uh, Barnett, linebacker. Javon Walker, 2002 wide receiver. Then Jamal Reynolds, defensive end. Bubba Franks, tight end, back on offense. Then Antoine Edwards, safety. Vonnie Holiday, defensive end. Then we went back to back in 96-97. Uh, Ross Ferba, guard. John Michaels, tackle. Craig Newsom, cornerback. Aaron Taylor, guard. Uh, George Tagu, safety. Wayne Simmons, linebacker. And Terrell Buckley, cornerback. And if you want to go back further than that, Vinnie Clark, cornerback. So this is the thing is we've always been defensive heavy. So it's not new. It's not as if, oh, we've Aaron Rodgers in there. Let's not give him weapons. Let's just keep going defense. The, you tend to go first round pick defense. It tends to be defense heavy. Not unless you have a high draft pick um, and you want to go a good offensive player. But most of the time, if you lock it down on defense. And drafted Clay Matthews in 2009 and... You know, Nick Perry. You know, when you look at sort of the players that came in and AJ Hawk before that in 2006, you know, you could say instrumental in standing up a good defense when we won the Super Bowl that time. So is the narrative true? No, it isn't. And if we go defense again, is that, oh, it's an embarrassment of riches? No. And if anything, uh, Brian Kutzkunst has shown that he's good at building an offense. Um, But look, that's put that narrative to bed. We've said goodbye to Joe Barry. We've looked at the draft class and we've said, all right, well, then maybe it's not just, you know, recent bias that we've only drafted 26% offensive since Brett Favre got here. Let me smack you with this soundbite and let's get on to, you know, fresher, brighter things. Like, really important. I think we've done a really good job. So I think I got to do a better job balancing that, and I have. Well, hey, if the criteria was we needed to find someone who used the words better job, good job, we need to do a better job and take ownership more than Matt LaFleur, uh, well, then I think we've done it. We've done it, folks. We've done it. We've won the offseason. There we go. Um, I'm excited about this pick. The more the pick... It is a pick. We've picked their defensive coordinator for the future. Jeff Halfley. Um, it's very exciting. I love as well that everybody... Because I was going to do a podcast, right? I was going to release it uh, the middle of last week and then get onto the schedule, which I'm we're now on, which is Sunday. It's going to be released Sunday, let you listen to it on Monday, and then it's going to release again the following Sunday, right? And I'm going to delve into some stuff. So I was going to do it on defensive coordinators. And I was sitting down. I was researching all the candidates. I was doing uh, an exercise off the back of it that I still think is probably useful by looking at the you know, average age of defensive coordinators and see what's going on. And is it the new guy that people are calling for? Is it the old guy? And all that exciting stuff. So when Jeff Halfley was announced, it was great that I had the same amount of knowledge as absolutely everybody else. Even the draft nicks and the experts who were saying who we would and wouldn't get. There, I think there's one thing that I looked at um, apart from the stats and looking at Ohio and there's a guy on Twitter called JJ Leahy and he's an Ohio fan and and I'm going to get murdered for that Ohio State um, fan and he was looking at him and he's delighted and he thinks this is his dream pick and he's going into why talking about how the Ohio defense was garbage and then he brought them right back uh, to number one and then he left after a year as co-defensive coordinator and then they went down again look I'm excited about it because um, the one thing that I've watched as I was saying, I think, it was Adam Brenneman. I don't know who Adam Brenneman is. Should I know? 
and he had this interview with him and it was just brilliant. It was, it was perfectly timed because he had the interview with him as the Boston College head coach and not as the defensive coordinator. So he wasn't spewing out the tropes and the cliches to do with defensive coordinator and what it's like in the NFL versus college. We get all of that from him from this interview, which is brilliant. Um, the first thing that I will, because here's what I'm getting a lot. And there's a lot of videos on YouTube and people release stuff talking about what kind of defense that he runs. Um, I'm far more interested in the type of man he is, the type of experience that he's had and the words that come out of his mouth as opposed to what he's going to do on defense. Now, I do want to know, is he aggressive? Does he play man or zone? But like, which way is he leaning? And what is his experience with that? He's a DB coach really at heart. But what I find brilliant about this dude is, is that he spent time with Boston College being the head coach. So he's had to deal with all of the nonsense. Um, but just hearing him speak, he's like if you took Matt LaFleur and you put him on fast forward almost. He just talks really, really fast and he, he gets the stuff out um, quickly. He's very conscientious. And he's also one of the small kings. Can I just put that out there? He's, he's represented. But look, he's defensive first. And he even talks about how in Boston, in this interview with Adam Brenneman, he talks about how he like is the head coach. He's got so much other admin to do, but he really wants to try focus on defense and get back there. And um, why he and again, there's all of this sort of you know angst about employing someone who is working at the college level for this long, and the, you know does he have NFL experience? And he does. He's plenty of NFL experience uh, with the Niners, and then he initially got employed by the Bills, but then went with Petten to the Browns, so that doesn't appear on his CV. Um, but he said he left the Niners to go to college ball because he loved the development of young players. And he was excited to see, you know, what would go on there. And, you know, it, it's good to see from a head coach that he enjoys coaching up young players. Now, Arab defense is the oldest part of the Packers squad. Um, but it's brilliant to see what he did with young players and that he enjoys that part of it. So he enjoys the coaching of it. Um, he's also faced adversity. So this dude went to Boston College when COVID hit and he's had to deal with the transfer portal. He's had to deal with paying athletes and having them being poached. And he's asked about that, you know, like how, how do you prepare for a challenge that you've never really come up against because he'd never been a head coach before. He'd been a co-defensive coordinator. And again, he spouts all the usual stuff that you want to hear. He just dives into it, gets his hand dirty. But there was a quote that came out. And again, it's always better when you get an old quote. And that's why I place so much value on this interview before he was speaking about, you know, getting the DC job for the Packers. Is Richard Sherman has quotes out there when he was with the Niners. And they asked him, what's it like to work with Jeff Halfley as, you know, defensive backs coach. And he was coming out and saying brilliant things about him that he's really, you know, detail orientated his tape is amazing he won't be outworked and I think it's incredible and look initially when I heard it I was like oh brilliant so we get a college guy who I don't know a lot about and I sort of fell down that rabbit hole of well does he have the requisite NFL experience to know the jump up in the game now he talks about it at the end of this YouTube video about the differences between the two and what he'd change but then you look at the coaches that had NFL experience Mike Petten and Joe Barry and Dom Capers, who invented a style of defense, for instance. And they didn't do too great. So you kind of get the point that, all right, you know, having that NFL experience being entrenched in it isn't always a good thing. But it's brilliant because he talks about the difference between being a head coach and being a coordinator. 
and saying that being a coordinator is easy compared because you get to focus on doing your stuff. You don't have to juggle people and staff and hiring people and all of that. And the thing that I think is missing from an awful lot of the narratives is that he wasn't only the head coach for Boston College, he was the general manager as well. And he's sort of saying in this interview that like he just wants to coach defense and he just wants to coach DBs. But now he's got all this other stuff to do. And the depth of experience he has with evaluating and scouting talent is unbelievable. You know, this is he, he talks a lot about flying around the country, trying to, you know, get in and scout these guys and see what they're all about and see them in person. Um, it's just incredible. Um, his philosophy. So, you know, he gets his philosophy pulled out. Again, he's speaking from a Boston College standpoint. And the culture must be a success because he talks an awful lot about it. He goes about being for the team and he wants smart guys who are tough and reliable and he wants football players. Um, you know, and you look at him and he's he's career has been kind of nuts. I mean, he was hired as a defensive backs coach at 24. And you'd look at that and go, well, he's very accomplished and he's earned everything he's got and all of this. Um, But he talks about catching breaks and he talks about being a Division 3 coach. And, you know, he's a grad assistant in Pitt with Paul Rhodes. And he coached Darrell Rivas, for instance. Um, And you look at that and you're like, oh, well, there you go. Like, if that was anybody else who's trying to sell themselves, they'd say, well, look what I did with Rivas. But he talks about Rivas teaching him more than he was able to teach Rivas, you know, and sort of saying like, well, I thought it was great, but then it just turned out that he was brilliant in his own right, you know. And then he starts talking about um, Rondé Barber and he was saying, you know, he taught me more than any other coaches have taught me. He starts talking about Richard Sherman and says, he taught me more than other people have taught me. So it's this sort of rags to riches story I know where you could sort of get lost in, but he's worked under so many different leaders and I know there's an awful lot of stuff made about this. He worked with Robert Sala, he worked with Mike Petten, um, you know, McDaniels, uh, Shanahan. Like, he's worked with all of these and learned from all these guys. But the one thing he points out about all these dudes is their work ethic. And that's one of the things that he seems to have learned from all of these guys is to really put in the work. Um, you know, but look, he's he's diligent. He says the right stuff. He wants to leave a legacy. He talks about, he tells the story about how he was coaching this or scouting this guy out of Arizona and then he realized that he got the Boston College job and he just seems really grounded, you know? And he's like, well, I knew I got the job, but I wanted to, you know, tell the players myself. I wanted to stick around and scout the guys and he's very personable. Um, And he gets the difference between NFL and college and he starts talking about what college could do better. Um, and again, Boston College has had to deal with guys on short-term basis. He's had to deal with guys who you know, get there and then they'll be able to transfer out with the transfer portal. He's had to deal with fundraising and all of that. Um, and he knows how to scout players. Like I said, he, he talks about measurables. He talks about height versus speed uh, and talks about wanting to see them in practice and needing good football players versus projections. You know, and that he's been successful in college looking at players and changing players and losing them to bigger teams. Um, so what will you do with a roster full of stars? You would imagine amazing. Now he talks about his time at Ohio and how, you know, they, they were really bad. I mean, the grades that Ohio had, Ohio, Ohio State, pick whatever one you want. Uh, when he deals with those guys that, you know, he talks about the talent that was on the roster. Anybody else looking at it would have said, well, there wasn't much talent, to be honest. Um, so what is he going to do with players? Now look, will his groundedness, will his motivation, will his tape work, will his you know, past successes with college football and he's had success at the NFL level as well. Well, dealing with all these different coaches, will all of that translate? Who knows? Who knows? 
but he seems to have a very solid philosophy and he seems to he will definitely understand the job that Matt LaFleur has as head coach and let him get on with it you know and then he'll be able to do what he's doing because he does talk about that that you know as head coach you kind of have to sit on things and like tell people what to do and all that but when you're a coordinator you just give your opinion and it can be accepted or not and then step away and this could be unbelievable simpatico in the Packers locker room because LaFleur always and he said this a couple of times that he leaves the D coordinators to do whatever they're doing you know just you work away do what you're doing I need to depend on you to get the job done I'm going to work on offense very offensive minded and Jeff Halfley you know with Boston College didn't get a chance to mold his own perfect defense there because he had to worry about all sides of the ball hiring and firing and all that kind of stuff and he wants to get back to that defensive side it seems like the whole you know between the rules between the transfer portals between fundraising to try key players and scouting and I mean the guy was stretched thin now he gets a chance to just focus on defense you know when he talks about the biggest piece of advice that he's got is just that brutal honesty and that you know consistency is key and when things are bad that you need to be positive and when things are going well you need to be critical and keep people humbled and he talks about the effect of social media has on pumping up a player's ego you know and that's exactly what you want to hear from a coach a coach who gets it he's young enough to get social media and doesn't go oh I don't believe that twitter face thing you know he's not being dopey about it you know and he talks about adversity he went one and three and he just had to work harder trust in the game plan adjust as he goes and then of course you know this is above my pay grade but looking at what people are saying about his scheme and what scheme he plays and that he's aggressive um it's just really positive to see and i think that him and lafleur they're so similar in the way they act and the way they talk and and i'd imagine that's why they hired him you know um his motivation is he says is changing players lives wanting to make a difference leaving a legacy and just doing things right and it's very packerish isn't it it's very sort of community uh, focused but that will really resonate with the guys because the one thing that we hear especially when he's going into a more experienced defense and he's not young young but he looks young and he talks young and he acts young um and he's been dealing with young players but you know it looks like he'll get the professionals he'll be honest with them he'll put in the work he was impressing the likes of Richard Sherman and I know you know you can take or leave Richard Sherman but he was a damn good player in his time great sound technique uh, quarterbacks including our own Aaron Rodgers was scared to throw his way even when he had basically a broken bloody arm in that game he still wouldn't go near him. so I'm very excited for him but I think that instead of looking into defensive schemes, we'll see what he's going to do when he gets there. You know, because there's all this narrative about does he play 3-4 or 4-3. Base defense really doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, it's not as if he's going to get in and go, right, I was just, I'm going to shove this. But we saw that the Joe Barry defense was a hangover from Mike Pettin. Now, Jeff Halfley seems to be more aggressive. Um, now, he does talk about, you know, irregular offensive shapes and trying to deal with a running quarterback. And that's what you have to deal with in college. Whereas in the NFL, it's... You know, you don't have to worry about that so much. It's only those big explosive plays when he leaks out. So, like, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. Probably wouldn't have understood half of it when he was talking about defensive schemes and what he was going to bring. But the guy seems absolutely sharp. And I'm loving it. And I'm also loving the reaction because you'd expect it to be, oh, for God's sake, like a college guy, really? Like, what a dopey pick again. And, of course, people are trying to get down the narrative. So, oh, well, look, he's best mates with this guy. And the thing is, is and someone raised, I can't remember who it was, raised a really good point, is that the coaching fraternity in this sport is very tight. 
very tight. I mean, you're going to probably have coaches being recycled or you know touching against some other coach in some regard. And this guy's been under Shanahan and McDaniels and Petten and you know they they all these old timers and new timers they all come up together and they keep the good ones usually rise to the top. And yes, there is a bit of that stuff of you know passing around the old guys and you get sacked from one place as a head coach, you become a DC somewhere else only to find your way back as a head coach or. You know, if you can't hack it at that, you're a linebacker. You know, coach, there's always, they always recycle it around the place. And you'd sort of look at that and go, what a load of nonsense. But it's the same with the Premier League. But look, these guys have their stripes and they obviously get employed for a reason. So they say it's not nepotism. I couldn't care anyway because I'm extremely excited hearing this guy talk. So I would recommend Adam Brenneman, uh, the YouTube video. Go on and watch it and just see what he's like. Because it's before all of the tropes and all the nonsense that he's going to come out with when they ask him questions about the Packers. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. There'll be more jingles. Uh, there'll be a Patreon dropping really, really soon. I usually drop the Patreon about a week or two into the month just to make sure that all the payments clear and that no one, you know, comes in late or has to correct their payments and stuff like that. It's an all expenses paid trip to Lambeau Field. And under this defensive coordinator that's coming in between Matt LaFleur hitting his stride, between Jordan Love doing his thing, the receiver. Oh, I'm, I've never been more excited to be a Packers fan. But welcome to the offseason. Um, also, um, keep an eye on your inbox. I'm going to be sending emails out to find out where's the best place to watch games because I'm going to ramp up the um, I'm going to ramp up the meetups big time in 2024 and we're going to get hopefully a meetup at least once a month if not a different place every single week all around the country and simultaneous meetups to get green and gold Packer fans in the same place all around the UK, Ireland and beyond. But anyway, I've been at Steedy the NFL. Give me a follow. Follow TikToks and YouTubes and Instagrams and all that kind of jazz for all the history stuff. And of course, get onto patreon.com forward slash UK Packers. But until next Sunday, let's go Pack Go and talk to you then.